all you have. You're now tuned in to the caucus race. So just sit back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. What's happening, Far, Far Away family? Get ready to jump for joy because I am Kyle, your host, and you're about to hear the most exciting audio show in the entire galaxy, Star Wars Audio Archives. Can you feel the excitement pulsing through the galaxy? Brace yourself for this episode of fun. It'll make you want to dance among the stars. So get your dancing shoes ready because we're about to shift into hyperdrive and kick it into maximum fun gear. This intergalactic joyride will be a wild and crazy experience. Are you ready? Then let's get to it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It was the orchid that saved them. Looking back, Zoe hadn't even been aware of exactly what she was doing, although that by itself shouldn't have been a surprise. A good deal of a Jedi's power was instinctive, a function of the Force. But it didn't make the situation any less disturbing. The things beneath them had started clambering up the rock face with a kind of manic agility clawing their way toward her and Tulka in spastic bursts of movement. The Whippet reacted first, drawing his spear and thrusting it straight at the first one, impaling it through the chest and then hauling it upright, using the thing's own weight to drag it down and finish the job. Tulka swung the spear around with the corpse still on it, bludgeoning the others, driving them back with a series of vicious thrusts. The plan went wrong almost immediately. Despite the fact that it had been run through completely, the thing at the end of the spear wasn't stopping. It wasn't even slowing down. And Zoe realized the other corpses had changed their approach, climbing up onto the overhang from the other side while Tulka was still struggling to kill the first one. They can't be killed, a voice whispered from the back of her mind. They're already dead. Look at them. At first, she thought she was hearing her own thoughts, and then she realized it was the Murakami Orchid, roiling in its own guilt and misery, yammering out words that she alone could hear. Dead but alive, Hestizo. Dead but alive. I did this to them. It was my fault. When Scabris put me into that horrible vat, and now I'm inside them. Zoe stiffened. That must have been when she made the connection, on some level at least, because a moment later she was staring straight at the dead thing wiggling on the end of Tulka's spear. Except it wasn't really at the end anymore. It had pulled itself forward until it was almost close enough to grab the whippet's face. 
I've got an idea, she told the orchid. Grow. What? You're in them now, aren't you? You're a part of them. You said so yourself. Yes, but then grow. I can't just... Don't argue with me. Just grow. It might have been that last command, the desperate vehemence of it, that stirred the orchid to action. Zoe saw the thing at the end of Tolka's spear stiffen and then fall abruptly motionless, as if it had just realized something profoundly unwelcome was taking root inside it. An instant later, a thin green tendril began to wind itself out of the thing's right ear, extruding a vine that grew steadily thicker as it looped downward. Another vine appeared inside its left nostril, and then a third and fourth. Stalks and runners were snaking busily out of both ears now, some of them bearing small clusters of leaves, others tiny black flowers. The corpse's mouth opened, and another stalk, this one as big around as Zoe's finger, burst outward from its bloody throat. Hestizo, this hurts. This hurts me. Grow. Grow. Just keep growing. Just grow. Looking around, she saw the others were experiencing the same effect, sprouting stalks and stems from every visible orifice. Their faces squirmed with thin, wiggling plant life just underneath the skin. Zoe knew that it was working now. The orchid was in them, and the orchid was growing. She concentrated harder. She could actually see the flora growing inside the things now, driving it harder, farther, faster from within, even as the orchid began crying out, begging her to stop, telling her that this hurt. It couldn't do it anymore. She ignored it and stared straight at the thing on Tulka's spear. She thought the word again, thought it with all the intensity and determination she could muster over and over in a smooth and solid thought wave. Grow, 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 grow. The corpse's entire cranial vault exploded in a colossal splat of red and black and green. In the place where its skull had been, a bright spray of leaves flapped and writhed winding outward, spilling down to encompass the entire upper half of the thing's torso. The body fell limp, sagging on the spear. Tulka dumped the thing with a brisk shoveling gesture, kicking it so that it barrel-rolled over the edge and then glanced back at Zoe. You did that? Me and the flower. You better do it again. The whippet pointed over the edge of the overhang at the other things. They were still sprouting, Zoe saw, but not as quickly, clawing back upward toward them. Hestizo, please. The orchid sounded weaker now. No more. Not now. I can't. It hurts. You have to, Zoe said, unaware that she was speaking out loud. You have to do it, because if you don't, they're not going to stop. They're going to kill us. They're going to kill me. Do you understand? So sorry. Hestizo. Silence. And it was gone. A hand closed around her ankle, jerking her forward from below. Zoe started to fall, landing on her side just as one of the things lurched upward, fully into view. She tried to pull away, but couldn't budge. Grow, she pleaded with the orchid. Grow, grow, now. But the flower, wherever it had gone... Whatever its abilities had been just moments before was of absolutely no help to her now. 
She couldn't even hear its voice anymore. And the writhing, rippling movement under the other thing's faces seemed to have stopped. There was nothing more they could do about them now. The orchid was tired, or absent, or dead. The thing on her leg was dragging her closer. What are you doing? Tolka shouted. He was stabbing furiously at the others, without much effect. Stop them! I can't! Zoe shouted back. The orchid's not there anymore! All at once, something huge burst up out of the ground in front of them. A monolith, black and featureless, hurling up an enormous corona of rock and ice in its wake. From what Zoe could make out, it looked like a turret made of stone and durasteel, taller than the rocky outcropping where she was currently fighting for her life. Lights pulsed within it. As its domed upper mounting swung toward them, she saw the gleam of a heavy turbine. The blaster pulsed twice, and the corpse in front of her disappeared in an acrid spray. Zoe blinked, wiping her eyes, and a massive amount of strength and momentum slammed into her from behind. The whippet, she realized, knocking her off the top of the overhang just before the third blast pulverized it completely. They landed face first in the dirty snow, Zoe's ears ringing, her head splitting from the fusillade of laser blasts behind them. Massive hunks of smoking boulder and snow were showering down from above. Zoe stared back at the crater where they'd just been standing. Run, Tulka ordered. What? That way. He jerked his arm toward the long, hollowed-out tube-like structure 20 meters in front of them. And when she didn't move, the whippet shoved her forward just as the laser cannon pivoted again, tracking straight for her. Statement. The HK's voice crackled from inside the comlink. Sir, we located his diesel trace. The Sith Lord paused and adjusted the frequency until the connection became clear. He was standing in the bulkhead of the mirror call, having just finished a complete inspection of the vessel from top to bottom. Locating the bounty hunter's ship had not been difficult. The tower's sensors had found it crash-landed two kilometers outside the academy, tracking it from the heat signature, and Scabrus had approached it with absolute stealth, on the off chance there might be someone aboard. But there was no sign of the Jedi or the Whippet who had brought her here. The craft had been abandoned. Where is she? He asked. Response. Initial perimeter scan reports positive identification on the northeast quadrant. Scanners registered a 98.3% positive pheromone match. How long ago? Response. Ten standard minutes, sir. Coordinate vector 27 by 18, order of magnitude. Is she dead? The slightest of pauses. Response. Negative, sir. Per your orders. Good. Statement. Our mid-range scout systems report that she and the Whippet Bounty Hunter are traveling together, headed northwest toward the Tonton Paddock in that near vicinity. They are still on foot and in all probability seeking immediate cover from the initial attack. The HK made a clicking sound awaiting orders. Query. Shall I reactivate the perimeter cannons in that quadrant set for stun? 
Scabrus didn't answer right away, thinking about the terrain that the droid was describing. The tower itself wasn't far from there, of course, and... and the library. That won't be necessary, Scabrus said. I'll handle it personally. Statement? The droid sounded more tentative now. There is... something else. What is it? Several local sensors are reporting unverified cluster activity in various quadrants around the Academy in general. It's unclear exactly what the source of the activity is. Biorhythm diagnostics aren't reporting any verifiable vital signs. Then fix it. Clarification? The electronics themselves are online and functioning normally. It's the activity. It shows no sign of life, body temperature, respiration, heart or brain activity. Scabra stopped and gazed thoughtfully at the Miracol's dented metal bulkhead in front of him. For a moment, the only sounds were the low, steady hum of the hemodialysis machine pumping fresh blood through his body, and the susurrus of fluids whisking through tubes, feeding him the cocktail of antiviral drugs. How much activity? he asked. Response? Unclear at present, but it seems to be... What? Well, it seems to be spreading, sir. I see. Scabrous thought of the apprentice, Nictor, or the thing that had once been Nictor, crawling out of its cage despite the fact that all vital signs registered negative. He thought about how the thing had lunged at him and then gone after Juro Ostrogoth, the appetite that the thing had brought to bear. At that moment, Scabrous had assumed that what he'd seen was a kind of exaggerated nervous twitch, a biochemical accident that the drug and the orchid had triggered inside Nictor's body. But now... It seems to be spreading, sir, the HK had said. He began to reconsider. My lord? The droid prompted. Never mind that now, Scabrous said. I'm going directly to the library. There will be no more need for lasers. Hestizo Trace will meet me there personally, and we shall finish our business together, she and I, as it was meant to be. Have my own ship prepared for immediate departure afterward. Yes, sir, but... Scabrous cut off the transmission and strolled through the Mirocor's open hatch, down the landing ramp, and out into the snowy night. first hour that Trace passed through the collapsed walls and stone temples of the Academy, the blizzard around him only worsened. It was as if the planet itself had read his arrival as a kind of infection on the cellular level and was fighting him off however it could. The temperature, already freezing, continued to plunge until his throat and lungs burned with every breath. The wind roared between the massive boxy shapes of the buildings and substructures, the great slabs and half-submerged corridors. Its scream was wraith-like, endless, the cry of something hungry for more than simple meat. Even the pellets of snow themselves felt sharper, jagging into his skin like tiny bits of shrapnel from an endlessly recurring explosion. In his peripheral vision, a shadow twitched and slithered, Trace stopped, hand reaching back for his lightsaber, 
And that was when he saw the man stepping out of the arched doorway to his left. Even before Trace glimpsed the man's face, he sensed the thin, bitter smile twisted over his lips, the threat of violence in those half-lidded eyes. The man's tunic and cloak blew out behind him, snapping whip-like in the irregular gusts of wind. And his voice, when it came across the broken landscape between them, was a low snarl. You landed on the wrong world, Jedi. Trace turned and faced him directly. The man was a Sith master. That much was readily apparent. Perhaps an instructor at the academy. I am Shackweth, Glade Master, here on Odessa Fauston. I can only assume that you came here seeking humiliation and an unpleasant death. I'm here on other matters. Ah? The Blade Master cocked his head slightly, looking marginally intrigued. But you've found me instead. Trace nodded. Actually, it was only stillness that had found him, clarity of thought, and it came as a blessing. The cold, the darkness, the stinging wind, all of these outside factors had simply ceased to exist. His entire world had shrunk to the exact distance between him and the man who stood before him, an obstacle in the way of finding Hestizo. Trace felt everything inside him beginning to relax and flow smoothly as the force spread through his nerves and muscles, generating a kind of weightless balance between action and intent. He drew his own lightsaber, felt it blaze to life in his grasp, a perfect extension of himself. The Sith Master's response was immediate. With a harsh grunt of fury, he flew at Trace, vaulting upward in the wind and angling the blade down with both hands, ripping through the ground where Trace had just been standing. The execution was flawless, a thing of almost organic brutality, as if the Blade Master had become a force of nature, another component of the blizzard that roared around them. Yet he was still too slow. Leaping sideways, Trace had spun around with his own lightsaber extended in front of him in a sweeping blow. The Sith Master was there, deflecting the attack and charging him again, hammering him backward with a vicious series of piercing thrusts and jabs, offering no quarter. Twice, the blade came close enough to Trace's face that he could smell the scorched stubble on his cheek. The third slash came within millimeters of taking off his head. Trace realized that regardless of what Shackleth had said a moment earlier, the Blade Master didn't intend to humiliate him, to toy with him, or prolong the duel any longer than necessary. At this point, the Sith Master was attacking for the most primitive reason imaginable, to slaughter Trace and leave his steaming carcass in the snow. In that split second, Trace saw the rest of the duel playing out in two distinct ways, neither of which would last long. Death was hovering over them now like a scavenger, close and claustrophobic. He saw it reflected in the Sith Master's eyes. When the Red Blade came at him again, Trace jumped upward. He put everything he knew about Form 5 to Gemso variation into that jump, leaping over Shackweth, spiraling through the flying snow, landing on the other side, and twisting around instantly, keeping his lightsaber at throat level with the intention of finishing the duel in a single stroke. Shackweth laughed. 
a bone-dry chuckle and deflected the maneuver with mocking ease. He swung at Trace, and this time the Jedi felt a hot, bright stab of pain as the lightsaber seared through his cloak and tunic, slashing into the flesh along his ribcage. Drops of blood fell into the snow, disappearing as they melted. Too easy, Jedi! Now the Blade Master's shoulders and back were braced against the slouching stone wall behind him, its outer surface cracked and half collapsed, and he tensed to spring forward. Now I shall finish you! As he arched forward, Trace saw a pair of hands shoot out from the broken wall behind him, gripping the Blade Master by the throat and jerking him backward. Shackweth slammed into the cracked stone hard enough to drop his lightsaber and Trace saw a ghastly white face burst up through the open hole in the wall. A screaming face, suctioning down on the Sith Master's right cheek and eye, teeth bared, gouging into his face. Trace took a step back, still holding his own lightsaber up, watching the thing that hauled Shackweth through the hole in the wall where it could more easily devour him. Great arterial eruptions spurted from the ragged perforation in the Sith Master's throat, spraying up over the wall and down into the snow and ice, painting the whole world red. Inside the wall, the thing lifted its face up and Trace saw its eyes, flat and without the slightest spark of life. Yet they had once been human, even youthful. A Sith student, he realized. A teenager. What had happened? The thing shoved its mouth back down into the ragged red cup that had once been Shackweth's right eye socket, slurping noisily. When it paused a moment later, the noise that it made was a high-pitched, ululating scream, and Trace realized that there were other screams, countless screams, a threnody of them rising up along with it, coming from every direction at once. The night was full of them. Zoe and Tulka ducked through the entranceway of the long, tunnel-like structure, and the bounty hunter stopped and raised his head, sniffing the wind as if picking up on some obscure scent. What was that out there? Zoe asked, gazing back out through the way they'd come. Her own voice sounded distant to her, and her ears felt as if they were plugged with soft wax from the force of the explosions outside. Turbo laser, Tulka grunted. Heavy artillery. It's Scabrous, isn't it, she asked. He's looking for us. If the whip had heard the question, he ignored it. A moment later, he sidled on, deeper into the foul-smelling recesses of the building. Reluctantly, Zoe followed. She was still processing the attacks, the laser cannon that had erupted up out of the ground, and the even more horrifying assault that had come before it. The screaming, undead things that had been intent on devouring them. The orchid, she said, for want of a better place to start. Talca said nothing, kept walking. The smell around them was getting decidedly worse with every passing step. It was the only reason I could fight those things off. It's because of how Scabrous used it in that experiment. I think it's inside their bodies, somehow. I told it to grow, but... Zoe shook her head. It's not there anymore. Now I can't get it to respond to me at all. It might be dead. The Whippet responded to all of this with a grunt. You finished? 
I just thought you might want to know how I saved our lives back there. You were the one who asked me for an explanation, after all. My mistake. Really, she said. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe you should have thought of that before you abducted me and dragged me out here to a planet full of walking corpses. No reply from the Whippet. Where are we going, anyway? Taking shelter, waiting out the storm. In the morning, I'm going back to my ship. The conversation ended there. Almost without meaning to, Zoe found herself reaching into the bounty hunter's thoughts, tentatively exploring his mind for some idea of what he knew about where they were headed. Normally, her telepathic abilities weren't particularly strong when it came to non-plant life forms, but the Whippet was what she thought of as a relatively easy read. In fact, from within, his mind resembled nothing so much as the trophy room aboard his ship where she'd first awakened. A place of death. A de facto display space for grotesque trophies and old kills. Some were alien species that she'd never seen before. Others were human. All were brought together in universal expressions of pain, desperation and helplessness that they'd worn as the bounty hunter had delivered the coup de grace. His mind had become a storehouse of their dying moments. This crypt of suffering, this reliquary, wasn't just what he carried around in his head every day. It was his head. Undaunted, Zoe plumbed deeper and realized, with some effort, she was able to pass through these thoughts into another chamber of the Whippet's consciousness into his more distant memories. She saw faces rising up around her, others of his species, family perhaps, early enemies from his home planet of Tula. The atmosphere here felt very still and long undisturbed, almost as if it were hermetically sealed, and she wondered if she'd arrived in some part of Tulka's past that he himself rarely visited. Certainly she had such places in her own mind, aspects of her life she'd walled off in vain hopes they'd die of suffocation or neglect. Zoe could almost feel the membrane that enveloped this part of his thoughts beginning to constrict over her. Then she heard breathing. There was something alive in here. She shifted her focus away from the older memories and saw the man gazing down at her, utterly calm and pleasant. His gray eyes were clear, sparkling with intellect. Wide, almost sensuous lips seemed perpetually on the verge of speaking, but instead they only twisted into a bemused smile. It was the Sith Lord. Get out of my head, Jedi. Tulka's snarl boomed through the memory caverns around her with devastating force. Zoe recoiled, drawing back, staggering as she retreated, and looking around, she saw that they were standing in a wide, bare metal chamber facing a series of tunnels that branched off in different directions. Icicles spiked down like semi-translucent stalactites from the long, low ceiling. She couldn't breathe. It took a second to realize why. The whippet had one hand locked around her throat, clamping her airway shut between his thumb and forefinger. His tusk face loomed just centimeters from her own. The next time I catch you in my head, you'll lose yours. Is that clear? Zoe nodded, and he released her, allowing her to stumble backward, regaining her bearings. 
Somewhere across the room, in one of the adjoining tunnels, she could hear a high-pitched whining beep going on and on. Not an alarm, necessarily, but some incidental mechanism, maybe as simple as a light that had already started overheating and would eventually burn out. Right now, however, this area was still brightly lit. Presumably, that was why Tulka had chosen it. As far as temperature went, the space was an ice locker, but at least she could see what was around and between each of the broad utilitarian pillars holding up the ceiling. The whippet turned, head cocked, and listening as he lumbered back up the corridor. Zoe, who at this point had spent a good deal of time looking at his back, noticed a difference in his gait, the way he carried his shoulders. They were stiffened, tense with anticipation. Without breaking stride, he reached for his bow and started to draw an arrow from his quiver. Is this the way we came in? Zoe asked. What do you think? I think you're not sure, and you're trying to cover for it. She paused and sniffed the air. The feral ammonia foul odor was growing thicker around her. Are we staying down here all night? What's that smell? No answer from Tulka. At this point... Had she really expected one? She went after him down the concourse in the general direction of the exit. The lights were trembling even more erratically here, sputtering on and off for a second or two at a time. The acrid stench had become eye-wateringly intense. Zoe covered her nose and mouth. It didn't help at all. This isn't the way we came in, she coughed. I would have remembered. <coughs> Tulka stopped. Off to their right, she saw a row of stalls. Something inside one of the stalls was swinging itself around, chuffing out volumes of air. Listening, Zoe heard it let out a low, restless groan. There was a silence, then a sound of feet rustling, followed by a bronchial squabbling honk. The whippet replaced the arrow that he'd taken out and took a step forward. The thing inside the stall let out another nasal, braying squawk and thrust its long head outward. Its muzzle drew back and Zoe saw two pairs of nostrils, large and small, flaring to let out another blast of moist breath. It swung its shaggy head sideways, its curved horns nearly gouging Tulka's face before he drew back. Are they... Tauntauns! The whip had made it sound like a bad word about somebody's mother. At least it explains the... A thick gobbet of spit hit him squarely in the face, and Tulka lunged forward, wiping it off, meeting the tauntaun eye to eye. He and it were almost the same height. The snow lizard's lips were already working up another load of saliva. Zoe thought the thing actually looked like it was smirking at him, when Tulka abruptly broke into a grin. It was the first time Zoe had seen him express anything other than impatience and indifference, and the effect was disconcerting. Good girl! Tulka brushed one hand over its snout, ruffling the fur beneath one of its horns. I bet there's probably some mook fruit for you around here somewhere. Then, glancing back at Zoe, his smile faded. What? If I'd known that spitting in your face was the key to your good graces, Zoe said... I would have done it a long time ago. Ignoring her, Tulka returned his attention to the creature. You're a foul old girl, aren't you? He said affectionately. I used to hunt with one like you, back on Tula. 
He glanced at the thick harness tethering the thing in its pen and turned to look up ahead at the source of another noise, lower and more dissonant. Listening, Zoe heard it too. The stalls in front of them were full of an increasing din, braying and squabbling, getting louder every second. Something's got them spooked, she said. Yeah. Awareness dawned in the whippet's face. I think you're right. In the stables, the tauntauns sounded as though they were screaming now, stomping in their paddocks. The lights went out. The blackness that engulfed them was crushing and total. Zoe felt Talka's hand reach out and seize hold of her arm just below the shoulder. Stay close, his voice rumbled in her ear, and she heard the creak of the leather quiver on his back. Keep back. Zoe felt her vision adjusting, straining after whatever slender traces of light she might find at the other end of the paddock. But there was precious little available, and what there was only created a myopic swamp of deep gray shadow. She could feel her senses reaching out into the recesses, pinging off the walls and ceiling. Her pupils ached from trying to pull something of substance out of the darkness. Immediately in front of her, she heard Talca suck in a sharp breath of air. What? she whispered. He jerked her forward so hard that her teeth snapped together, and all at once she was moving blindly, half running, half dragged through a black and sightless sea. The bounty hunter's grip on her arm was like a manacle. Swinging forward, losing her equilibrium and then regaining it, she felt the floor skid out from underneath her feet. She wondered how he could see at all, or if he was navigating by sense of smell or plain dumb luck. Then she felt them, coming up from behind. One or many, she didn't know, but the presence felt massive. An unwelcome intrusion of breath and motion and stinking flesh that bulked through the dark corridor, filling it. She heard a scream, a sound that she'd never heard before. It rose, a piercing shriek, pressurized and skating upward into the highest registers of audible sound. Thousands of vibrations per second until she expected it to burst apart, splintering into ragged strands and threads of individual voices. But instead it held together, compressing somehow, overwhelming the cries of the tauntauns and everything else. Zoe sensed a probing, almost prehensile quality to that note. It was the echo-locating noise of something, some things, investigating the blackness around them with a desperate, mindless voraciousness. As quickly as it had started, the scream broke off. The Tauntaun's cries had strangled away as well, leaving a void of utter silence in their wake. Zoe drew in a breath, summoning the Force. What came next was a mental image, no longer than a second or two at the most, like a flash grenade exploding in her head. In that moment, she glimpsed the perimeter in front of them, the stalls and the space behind them. She had just enough of a view to sense what she had to do, now. She swung one leg in front of Tulka's ankle, planted her foot and felt him trip over it tumbling sideways with a snarled curse into an empty tauntaun stall to their immediate right. Zoe collapsed on top of him, 
The night vision that the Force had given her was already gone. She felt something long and smooth, jabbing painfully against her cheek, and realized later that it must have been one of the Whippet's tusks. What? he snapped. And this time she took hold of him, squeezing hard, digging her fingers as hard as she could into the bounty hunter's scaly, sweat-slick hide. In surprise, or maybe realization, he went quiet. The events of the next few moments weren't simply a matter of sound or smell, but some collusion of both sensory and extrasensory perception. With the force guiding her, Zoe realized that she could feel the stalls alongside them, still pitch black, filling with the noxious stirring of many bodies, packed close together, piling past. Searching. At one point... Zoe sensed them lumbering by so closely that if she'd reached one hand out of the stall, she could have touched them. And they could have touched her. They weren't screaming now, weren't even breathing. Instead, the things, whatever they were, made little incidental grunting noises. The sounds of bodies pushing themselves along for the simplest of motives. Hunger. Hatred. Rage. She held her breath didn't move. After what felt like forever, the grunting noises trailed off, until all that was left was a putrid cloud that made her want to breathe through her mouth. Beneath her, Tulka stirred, straightened, and shoved her off him. If you ever do that again, I'll kill you myself. Zoe glanced off in the direction that the things had gone. Seems a bit redundant, given the circumstances. I don't run, and I don't hide. Listen, she said. We saw what those things are. I can't fight them off, and neither can you. So for the moment, that leaves us with running and hiding. To her surprise, he didn't argue. Climbing out of the stall, they made their way forward through the dark, toward the strange pewter gray light she'd noticed earlier. It grew slightly brighter by degrees until she realized that she could see the exit taking shape in front of them. The air was colder, and she saw the first big flakes of snow drifting in from outside. Tulka stopped and tilted his head back, the wind blowing the fur from his face. This isn't where we came in, he said. How do you know? He raised one hand. Zoe looked where he was pointing. It took her a moment to realize what she was looking at. Once she did, though, she couldn't look away. They were back at the tower. Holy macaroni. We just concluded a journey through part eight of Rare Harvest. And let me tell you, this tale is a mind-bending adventure from a distant galaxy. I was completely captivated by the unfolding events, gripped by the suspense every step of the way. Star Wars truly knows how to weave an epic narrative, and I can hardly fathom what lies ahead. But fear not, my fellow travelers, for I am locked in and prepared for whatever awaits us. But hold on tight, for we still have one more cosmic part to unveil. The quote of this episode. This time it hails from the remarkable wordsmith of Obi-Wan Kenobi, who declared, Courage is the galaxy's brightest star, illuminating our path through the darkest voids. So let me break it down for us. Courage is like a superhero power that helps us do brave things. It's a bright and shining star guiding us through tough and dangerous situations. In the times of adversity, or when we find ourselves engulfed in darkness, it is all too easy to lose sight of our objective or the glimmering hope on the horizon. Yeah, Obi-Wan reminds us that courage acts as a guiding light. 
It fuels our spirit and propels us forward, even amidst the bleakest uncertainty. Similar to how stars lighten the cosmos, courage possesses the potential to ignite our inner resolve. It represents that internal spark of belief, filling our optimism for a brighter future and the conviction that we can conquer any obstacle. So remember these words when life gets you down. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that's all I have for today. I hope you enjoyed episode eight as much as I did. And I hope you will join me next time for more adventures in the galaxy far, far away. Until then, may the force be with you. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archives. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pickfield Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel and is distributed by Swaycast Network. Star Wars Red Harvest was read to you by Jeremy Owens. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah.